This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house on this zombie apocalypse day. Um, until government shuts us down, this will be your one respite for the forgotten American citizen. And, and yes, you guys still are the forgotten American citizen on this Monday, March 16th. And we're going to explain why you guys are the forgotten taxpayers more than ever. America last is the catchphrase now. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. There is a lot to talk about. I just want to say it's precisely during crises like this where we need bold leadership. We need a voice for the people who aren't special interests, not just for people on welfare, not just for foreign nationals, not just for certain industries, but for the whole of the people to do what is right for the whole of the people. And uh, look, I, I really feel bad for a lot of people are in a tough situation with work and everything. I'm fortunate enough to have my studio at home. Uh, the kids are home. So if you hear them screaming in the background, just know it's not my fault. I tried to soundproof this room, but only a little bit. I got an outdoor door uh, to the office that closes flush, a little bit of extra insulation, but I mean, you guys who have kids know uh, <laughs> if you have two kids having a tantrum, forget it. So I don't take responsibility for that. Uh, but I will be working overtime uh, this week. Um, I will not be shutting down, of course, until government and unless government shuts us down for whatever reason, the way things are going. Um, I am here to call the balls and strikes. I'm here to make sure that there is one voice that's not silenced by China. I'm here to make sure we pin the blame on where this needs to be, that we have the right short-term and long policies, long-term policies in place, and also the recognition that to a certain extent, in terms of healing the sick, there is not a pu public policy answer for everything. And some of this we really must turn to God. Certainly in a time like this. So just want to start off real quick, just with a prayer. Psalms 41. Praiseworthy is he who looks after the poor on a day of calamity, the Lord will rescue him. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will, he will be praised in the land and you will not deliver him into the desire of his enemies. The Lord will support him on his sickbed when you have transformed his entire restfulness in his illness. I said, O oh Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul, because I have sinned against you. And that's really what we must do. We must confess our sins to God. We must pr uh, pray for his guidance. Um, obviously, that is the most important thing, that this disease is just eradicated as soon as possible. So we could then start dealing with the fallout the fallout to the economy and what to do. And that really is the thing. We first have to know what's going on and we first have to deal with what's going on before we just throw money at welfare and just throw money at the problem without addressing anything else. Today, we're going to ask the question, why do we even have a Republican Party? Really, what is the point? If they're going to outsource their Wuhan virus response to Nancy Pelosi, the same way we've outsourced everything we do in this country to China, why have a Republican Party? 
if we don't have a Republican Party giving a vision of what is the scope of the problem, what has caused the problem, what we need to be doing aside and outside from what the Democrats are pushing, then why even have a Republican Party? See, this is what I don't understand. Republicans talk tough on spending, immigration, China, whatever the issue is, when the legislative ball is not in play, when the outcome doesn't matter during a campaign. But when there's a time of crisis and there's a clamor for action and there's an impetus and an opportunity for policy, legislative changes, somehow they are nowhere to be seen and whatever the Democrats say, they say jump, Republicans say how high. Democrats define the problem. They define the scope of what goes into that problem, what should be included and what's not included. They define the cause. They define the solution. And Republicans operate solely within those confines. They orbit around the Democrat proposals as a planet orbits around the sun. And that's what we saw when we got off the air together on Friday. We saw late Friday. Democrats had like a massive porculous bill, Medicaid, food stamps, school lunches, all sorts of welfare, mandating on small businesses in, in, in the worst way we're going to discuss in a minute. The worst way to have 12 weeks of paid leave. We don't even know the cost of the bill. There's no CBO score on the bill. And nothing, nothing about any issue that has really led to this problem, that has led to our vulnerability in this problem. And Donald Trump tweets out, I fully support Nancy Pelosi's bill. All but 40 House members supported. There's a handful of others, about 15 that... 10 to 15 that might have opposed it, but just didn't vote or weren't there. And now Democrats have a brilliant tactic. They're saying, you know what? It's not good for us to congregate together in, in the Capitol. Let's just have someone pass this in the Senate by unanimous consent. I don't know if McConnell's going to give into that yet, but it's a brilliant tactic. Like, hey, like, how dare we spread a virus and get together? You know, you we can't debate and amend this. Let's just pass it. Unanimous consent. They already admitted there's mistakes in the bill, but they want to fix those, quote, technical changes in the House by unanimous consent and then pass the Senate and have Donald Trump sign it. And, you know, we, we solve the problem. We solve the problem. So let's unpack this bill a little bit. Let's talk about where we want to head what we should be talking about, the broader problems with China, the broader problems with immigration and travel that weren't shut off, the broader problems about how to prevent this in the future, the broader problems about the supply chain and the need for deregulation to ensure that our grocery store shelves don't look like China and Venezuela. And then also, we do need to talk about liberty and the right balance of a public health emergency response with individual liberty. These are very important things. As government attempts to do everything and anything under the guise of emergency, except for the things they should be doing, of course, we need a watchful eye to, to, to th throw a red flag 
when necessary and to call the balls and strikes. And I'm committed to calling those plays if no one else will. And again, I want to make very clear, I'm not trying to downplay the severity of this. As you all know, I was talking about this in January when, we, when, when there was more we could have done to limit what had came into the country. I'm not saying it would have been possible to you know, prevent any cases, but it would have been much more manageable had we actually done that. And it's amazing. People are like, Daniel, you're crazy shutting off travel. Do you know how disruptive that will be? Well, now we know what disruption is. And folks, there's a very important lesson in all of this. With an ounce of prevention, preventing a pound of pain, the way you preempt and respond to crises is you directly address the source and the scope of the problem. You don't cast a wide net on constitutional liberties. This was the mistake we made with 9-11, and this is the mistake we need to ensure that we don't uh, repeat in the long run here. Rather than directly addressing the problem, which was mass Muslim immigration and the networks like Anwar al-Awlaki of the Muslim Brotherhood in America that allowed them to foment these, these attacks, we went and tripled our Muslim immigration, and then we just pissed away thousands of lives, trillions of dollars overseas, refereeing Islamic civil wars, and then because of them brought in even more Islamists to our country under the guise of fighting them there so they don't come here, but then we brought them here. And then we you know, had all sorts of thing, liberties and where we clamped down. Obviously, you see the airports, whereas you go to Israel and you see that they profile. That's what needs to be done. You look, you, you target the problem, the, where the issue is. And it's a similar thing here. You target the problem. Now, look, I'm not comparing terrorists to people who get sick, of course. <laughs> it's not their fault, but I'm saying in terms of our government response, it's the same principle. So the minute we hear viruses come out, we need to suspend, certainly travel from that country, but really all countries we think that will be affected, and we need to work with other countries to convince them to do the same. That's what should have happened in December with China and Europe. We should have been working with those countries, but we didn't do it. And folks, Ezra Levant of Rebel Media in Canada, you go to his Twitter feed, he is reporting in real time. He is tracking flights that to this minute are still taking off from China to Vancouver. It's unbelievable. You see, Germany, the Jerusalem Post reported, Germany did not shut down flights to Iran, which was the second hardest hit country, until this day after there was public outrage in Germany that we're still having flights. Because the religion of immigration and open borders, I'm telling you, nothing stands before it. And look, travel is not immigration. It's not necessarily the same thing. And certainly we generally want travel. But look, wouldn't we have rather had the disruption of international travel being cut off for a few months rather than literally shutting down all of our lives domestically, even in our communities, for God knows how long? I mean, it's to the point where I don't know where it is by you, um, by us. I don't know if there's yet a policy in place. I don't think so. But the funeral homes are doing this on their own. They're canceling funerals. So the only way to bury your dead is through, through a graveside funeral. OK, that's pretty severe. So the first step is you shut it off and don't let it in your country. You shut off the border. You shut off the airports for international travel. 
and certainly, certainly from those countries. But we continued it for months. And even when Trump shut off from from, uh, I mean, Europe, he didn't do it till recently. But late January, he shut off China. But still, he was like, well, citizens could come here. And if you're a green card, Chinese national, I mean, really? And it was like, no, Daniel, they're green card holders. You can't do that. And meanwhile, we're shutting off American liberties domestically. So that's the first lesson. And then, obviously, obviously, in, um, you know, as it relates to now that we brought it into the country, you got to deal with the scope of the problem, okay? And the problem, the immediate problem is I don't want to hear about economics and I don't want to hear about welfare and stimulus. We could talk about what needs to be done. But there's nothing to stimulate if you're on the one end, government is sowing panic and then they say, well, no one's working. Well, what do you want? You're saying they can't essentially want to stay home. So the idea is to solve this immediately. So so what needs to be done is obviously. You quarantine where the problem is. You know, I am very strong on this. I said this throughout the border crisis when no one else would talk about it. I said, look, nothing could ever stop a government from protecting its people from a public health crisis, which, of course, we didn't do that when we allowed caravans to come in with tuberculosis, with mumps, with scabies, with all sorts of things to this day. I, I, I believe that Entrovirus D68 that came in exactly in 2014 when the Central Americans did and then acute flaccid myelitis, the paralysis disease that has gotten about a thousand people in this country came from that. We did not shut it down. But again, the first thing you shut down is international because they don't have a right to be here. And that's also the source of the problem. Once it's here, look, I'm not I'd be the first to tell you. It is deeply rooted in our history and tradition since the 1800s. We have had very strong quarantine rules and we enforce them. And, and even though that trumps, you know, First Amendment and liberties, it, it, you have to protect other people. And I, I agree with that. But you focus on where it is. Remember, rough almost two thirds of the fatalities have been in the Seattle area. Now, 29, which is roughly half of the entire national fatalities from coronavirus. China virus, Wuhan virus, was in that one nursing home. And again, Washington State was all China travel. That's what brought it in. So look, in a place like King County, you're going to have to be more severe. Some areas in New York, I understand. But the whole country, you got you to you measure this. We've shut down gatherings. The next step now that now all of them are shutting down, you know, all stores and restaurants except for um, you know, takeout and groceries and banks. But we need to draw a line in the sand now. I am scared of the next step. And as I'm talking, someone just texted me that New Jersey is doing exactly what I'm trying to say. We need to fight a curfew. No, you are not. If you want to say you don't publicly congregate is one thing, but to start restricting walking and driving as an individual. No, no, I'm sorry. It doesn't warrant that. That is a bridge too far. At some point, we have to say no. I'm not going to sit and have people tell me I'm not taking it seriously enough when these very same schmucks went for months and wouldn't even 
they advocated against cutting off travel from China, and now we're gonna cut off travel from out of your own damn home? Are you kidding me? No. Okay, schools are off, fine, let's let it sit, let's let this simmer. We are bending the trajectory. We need to focus on deregulation, like what uh, Greg Abbott is doing. Recognizing licensing, medical licensing from other states. Relinquishing trucking regulations to ensure that stores are refilled as quickly as possible. Obviously, Trump has begun, but we need to continue uh, breaking down more FDA regulations. We pray to God that this new uh, uh, potential vaccine that they're testing today in a clinic um, is going to work. That was born out of Trump's deregulation. These are the things we need to think about. Treatment in the hospitals, hospital resources, treat the people that are sick, quarantine the people that have been exposed. You have the general restrictions on everyone that are very severe. Don't take those general restrictions further. Because the next step is what New Jersey is evidently doing. And, and but but this is the trend. Each governor shames the other one. Oh, you if you don't do this, you're not taking it seriously. No. At some point, it doesn't warrant it at this point. You know, again, let, let me say this. Someone put out a very terrific point. Um, trying to see who, what his name is. Uh, Joe Concha. He is a reporter for the hill.com. He put out a very important uh, point. Last night, there was a Democrat debate. Obviously, it was very much about the, the virus. But they noted that if you look at the last four Democrat debates, CNN debate January 14th, zero mention of the virus. ABC News, February 7th, zero mention. NBC, February 19th, zero mention of it. CBS News, February 26th, that was, the, that was the last one, one mention in the 83rd minute. Good reporting from Joe Concha there. And it's a terrific point. When we could have stopped this, they didn't give a darn. They didn't give a darn. And they vehemently said, we shouldn't just shut, shut off travel. Even when Trump did it from Europe in the 11th hour, they said we should, we, you know, they bashed him for it. The reality is we need policies in place dealing with a mandate forcing the president in the future at the first sight of an outbreak somewhere to shut down travel. Okay? Now, I know that's not an immediate response to this, but that needs to be in there. Right now, the president certainly has the authority, which is never used, but we need to mandate that it is used. This is, this is the principle. I say this all the time. I am not a libertarian. I believe government has a very strong role to play on a few things to protect the whole of the people from crime, terrorism, illegal immigration, and yes, public health concerns. That is absolutely why we have a government. I don't believe in no government. But the problem is, um, when, when you don't do what's right, and you don't use the powers that you have, you wind up creating chaos, then you, then you get tyranny. 
This is what happens. I say this all the time with crime. You know, all these libertarians are like, Daniel, you're a statist. You're for government getting doing all this for crime. And my point is, look, I'm saying when you have chaos in the streets, it's going to not just the just the fear of the criminals infringes on your liberty. You're you're scared to go anywhere. But government's going to start casting a wide net. That's what we do. We don't address the problem, address the criminals, come down hard on them. And then then everyone is safe. No, instead, you let it fester and then they start doing things that are close to martial law. Now, again, I'm not comparing people who are sick with the virus to criminals, God forbid. But my point is, you deal with that directly, but but stop casting a wide net. And I'm not advocating against, you know, the dispersing and the canceling of crowds. But if we're going to start saying you can't leave your home in a curfew and you can't go in your car. No, that we need to stop right now. No, I'm sorry. I will not allow these bastards to not even shut down immigration. And then suddenly say, oh, you can't leave your house. No. No. And I'm not going to allow them to use this as an opportunity to spend tens of billions, hundreds of billions more on welfare. But not address deregulation. And all of the things that prevent us from having better health care. And better, better supply chain. You know, still one of the greatest statements of governance is Madison in, um, in Federalist 45. Okay? And I really think this defines governance better than anything anywhere. It really defines what we have government for and the arrangement of our government. And he talks about how, you know, the powers of the federal government are few and defined. Right? They're few and defined. And he says that The federal government's few and defined powers are applied principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. State powers would be, quote, numerous and indefinite, extending to all the objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. The operation of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger, those of the state governments, in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage over the federal federal government. Okay? But then he says something very important. Very, very important. And I'm trying to find the quote here. Trying to find the quote here. But he basically says that the more the federal government focuses on its real jobs, the less likely we'll have tyranny. Right? Um, The more adequate indeed the federal powers may be rendered to the national defense, 
the less frequent will be those scenes of danger which might favor their ascendancy over the governments of the particular states. And I think the, the same principle really applies at a state level too. Government needs to do certain things very good. But our government is flipped on its head. The things it's supposed to do, it doesn't do. And then we're left with tyranny. Because we don't shut down our borders when we should. Because we don't deal with the supply chain from China. Because we have mass migration from China. Mass foreign students from China. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, that has led to the brain gain and the outsourcing and the stealing of our technology. And China holding the rope to hang us, not only infecting us with the disease through their mass migration here and to northern Italy, as we've seen 300,000 there Chinese workers that no one wants to talk about, which is why northern Italy was hurt, hurt really more than any other country. But we don't deal with that. Now we're like, curfew, curfew for everyone. No, I'm sorry. Oh, Daniel, you don't take this serious enough. You want people to die. No, you want people to die. You're not going to play that game on me. So there's a, lot, there's a lot more to talk about, but that's one aspect. The other aspect is this. A government response to a crisis needs to be universal. It's not about wealth redistrib re redistribution. There's enough welfare. This bill expands food stamps, expands WIC, expands Medicaid. No, you need to focus on universal maintenance of the supply chain of goods and services, the supply chain of medical care, potential vaccines, medication, access to health care for everyone. Stop with this means testing thing. Okay, so what they did do for everyone is this paid family leave, not just for the poor, but for everyone mandating. But they didn't do for everyone. Here's the game they played. Here's the game they played. They said only businesses that have between 50 and 500 employees. It's the dumbest thing in the world. So they wanted to say small businesses don't have to do it. But as I got an email from one of our listeners, they used to have fewer than 50, and now they have a little bit more. But it's still a small business. Do you know what a mandate that is? You know what that's going to do? Companies that are near the 50 limit, which are a lot of them. I know our company here was for a while. They'll just, they're just going to cut people. They're going to cut people. And then at the other end, they cut off the mandate at 500. Really? So the massive corporations won't have to do this, but the small to somewhat mid-sized will? Well, so much for the little guy. I mean, it makes no sense. But this is what they said is, this is the response. You're, you're, you're evil and you don't care about people if you don't pass this. Pass it by unanimous consent. Trump signed off. You're not allowed to dissent. And all Republicans are, are in panic, pander, 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 panic. Ask no questions. I mean, and again, like, why prospectively invite 12 weeks of this? If we feel, feel we have to reimburse people for staying home, fine. But, but. The point is, you the, the idea is to, to go the opposite of panic, to try to keep as much commerce going and to try to end this, focus more on the health care, try to end the epidemic.
because until you do so, there's a, this is not like the financial crisis. Even if you're a Keynesian and you believe in stimulus and that somehow the government could you know resuscitate an economy, that's when you have logistically people are working, but there's problems in industries. Here, the economy was doing great. Now we shut it down for an epidemic. So it makes no sense here. It makes no sense. Right? There's nothing to stimulate. You have to get people back to work, survey that damage, and then we could talk about it. But no, it's all about free stuff. Never let a crisis go to waste. We need universal access. Make sure all of us are not... We need to make sure everyone has reasonable access to reasonably priced goods and services. Right? That is the job of a government. Instead... Free lunch. And I'm sorry, you could call me any name in the book, but I'm sick of this crap. That it's like Governor Hogan here in Maryland just announced. I mean, we're shutting everything down. Oh, but there's going to be three meals for, for school kids that are out of school. I know, yes, Daniel, you don't understand. People are dying in the streets. It's not true. There are poor and needy people, but we have the fattest poor people in the country. It might not be nutritious, but I'm saying they don't go hungry. I'm sick of this, that they're the next meal, one meal away of starving to death. It's such nonsense, this religion of the school lunch program for, for this means-tested redistribution of wealth. No. In an epidemic, you need to focus on the whole of the people. Universal access to things. This bill is all about wealth redistribution. School breakfast, school lunch, daycare meals, summer. They're already on summer food programs. They're already talking about that. that that's in the bill. That they're passing. So here's the thing. I mean, even if you're sympathetic to just throwing money at people. Right? They haven't thought through the unintended consequences. Don't sow more panic. And again, if you're going to do it, just write people a check. What you don't want to do is destroy the businesses and mandate on them. Well, they said they, they're, they're going to be able to have a tax credit. But, I mean, that's not going to come till next year's taxes. Don't hurt the businesses, the small businesses. If you're, I'm saying once government's going to cover it anyway, because it's not a deduction, it's a credit. That's, that's dollar for dollar. So government's essentially going to pay for it anyway. Then just give the people directly. I mean, if you're going to do that. But again, start off with at least deferring payments. You know, people have small businesses. They have to do quarter, quarterly filing. Delay that, obviously. Delay paying taxes. Let's do that before the handouts. But, but I'm sorry, like, I'm sick of this notion that we have to live at the same level of prosperity. I know I'm going to sound heartless and this and that. Same level of prosperity, no matter what happens, even a once in a millennium, you know, crisis. Yes, we're all going to have to feel some pain. Oh, you don't understand. People are one paycheck away from dying. I, I, I just, look, I don't see that. We don't need to be doing that. That's not, the focus needs to be not subsidizing the shutdown. It's to shorten the shutdown. And then survey the damage afterwards. But if you do bills like this prospectively, you're going to create unintended consequences. We need amendments dealing with the future of the 400,000 Chinese students in this country. 
what, they're just going to travel back and forth for the next semester? And remember, this is a long-term problem from China. All the diseases seem to come from there. This, this is going to happen again, and now we have a set of precedent that this is what our response is going to be. Border security has to be a part of this as well. If this is a national emergency big enough to curtail vital liberties of Americans, then it's a national emergency big enough to stop admitting and processing illegal aliens and asylum requests at our border. 150,000 illegal aliens from 72 countries with cases of coronavirus, according to the Washington Examiner, have been caught at the border over the first five months of fiscal year. 1,657 from China. We are still not turning them back at the border. I want to get back to immigration in a minute. I'm going to shock you with something. I'm going to have an article out today on this, but I want to get back to that in a minute. Let's just go on. We need a provision addressing how China is using immigration to suck out all, all of our research and development, a problem that was just recognized by the bipartisan Senate Homeland Security Subcommittee report. We need to pass Josh Hawley's deal, a bill dealing with the medical supply chain monopolized by China. Chip Roy has a bill called the Result Act which would require the FDA to review all applications for approval of new drugs and medical devices that have been approved in comparable countries within 30 days. Look, we're already seeing the results with the president's easement of regulations. We need an audit of all regulations that impede the flow of healthcare and the supply chain of vital goods and services and to empower the president to immediately rectify them. And we need sanctions on China for lying to the world about the severity of the virus, causing the world to lose vital weeks and preempting the spread of this virus. Remember, it's all over the place now. All these cases we now know of China killing people or making them disappear. Doctors who tried to warn. The Chinese communists need to be held accountable for this. These... I don't know, I'm not telling you that they concocted it in the Wuhan facility and did this on purpose for biological warfare. It wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't put anything past them. I don't know that, so I'm not going to assert it because we don't know. We don't know anything going on in China. That's part of the problem. But certainly, China always makes sure they are poised to capitalize on any crisis. I mean, it was just reported today, HHS had their computers Attack, the cyber attack. Who do you think did it? Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. China needs to be held accountable. We need to leverage every economic and diplomatic and military tool we have to essentially go to war with China. They are at war with us. They have declared asymmetrical war against us for decades. It's time we declare that asymmetrical warfare back on them. That needs to be a part of this. That's my point. I know Republicans don't have a backbone to deal with the spending. They're, they're, they're whatever. They're, they're too scared. They don't want to look like they're not caring. Whatever the Democrats want, they're going to spend. So my point is, at least get some stuff in return on the regulatory end, on the supply chain end, on the immigration end, and on the China end. That actually directly addresses both the source of this problem and our vulner vulnerabilities in dealing with it, both from a you know, border standpoint, from a China asymmetrical warfare standpoint, and from a healthcare and supply standpoint. That needs to be the focus. And it needs to be 
the whole of the people, the security of our country. Not just about taking welfare that is at a record level and record spending and spending even more. But if you're going to do that, which they're going to do, then, then at least. And, and, and here's another thing. Rand Paul has a great idea. Can we at least offset some of the spending by cutting foreign aid? Like whatever happened to America first, we're in a time if, if we are in such a crisis that we can't have funerals, that they're on the cusp of of curfews and in some places they're implementing them. If we're bad enough to do that and they're talking about six months doing this, who knows? How in the world are we still giving foreign aid to other countries? This is from the Dhaka Tribune in Bangladesh. U.S. mobilizes 25 million to support Bangladesh. The United States government has mobilized a 25 million fund through USAID to support Bangladesh's COVID-19 readiness and response efforts. I mean, folks, you can't make this up. You can't make this. Bangladesh? What does that have to do with anything? This is a vision. These are some talking points that an alternative party would put out. But they're not. And Trump himself is not. So why have... Here are my two questions. Number one... Why have a Republican Party at all? Okay, it's precisely at a time of crisis. Not some stupid campaign talking point when it doesn't matter that you never plan to fulfill, but a time of crisis when we need a contrast from the Democrats. And we're not getting that. And we never do. Whatever Pelosi wants to pass, every time they give it to her. And number two is, if the solution to everything is throw more money at the problem, mainly at means-tested redistribution of welfare programs, why stop at, at what they're doing? In other words, the premise of what they're saying is that the best thing we can do is to throw money at people, okay? And that the money is free. Somehow there's no, there, there, there is no collateral damage. Why not just write everyone a $10,000 check to stay home for two weeks and every two weeks as needed? You might laugh, but that's a serious question. The money is unlimited, the amount we're spending and in debt. So if you, I mean, I mean, look, go for broke. There is no broke because it's unlimited to how much they're printing between what the Federal Reserve is doing for giving student loans now. I mean, just, everything's free. I mean, it, oh, Daniel, we can't have Bernie Sanders. We have Bernie Sanders in charge. Our whole government is Bernie Sanders. It's just so dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb beyond belief. But I want to I wanna make a couple of other points before I close with the shocking immigration news coming full circle to the start of this. But there's an important lesson here. America is not just a corporate, corporate spreadsheet. I believe very strongly in free trade at its core, right? I mean, as an economic philosophy, that you want to be able to have a global system of, of just, you know, having the most efficient means of producing and transporting and trading products and goods and services okay i mean at its core it, 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 there's no denying it's good but the problem is you have to balance there's three things there's economics 
there's social value slash culture, and there's security. We always talk about the three legs of the Reagan stool, right? Fiscal, social, security, however you want to talk about it. And the problem is, you have to understand we don't live in a utopia. You can't be a Teletubby. This is the problem with liberals or libertarians. We have, if the world were perfect, then we, we could do this absolutely and wouldn't have to worry. But it's not. We have cultural problems. We have health problems. We have security problems throughout the world. China, the Chinese government is evil beyond belief. They are doing everything to, to hang us. So we, you, you have to deal with that. Right. I, I believe in free trade, all things equal. But at some point, I think we're now seeing now this is what happens when you have endless migration. Spreading diseases here and then endless. Um, uh, out, outsourcing there that makes us so vulnerable. We need to rectify that. You need a you need to balance that. This is what I say all the time. But we need, everyone recognizes this now. It would have been better to have a little bit less restri restriction, a little bit more restriction on some of this stuff and not have this pain. It's what I say all the time with illegal immigration and the low-skilled visas, the H-2 visas. Everyone's like, Daniel, oh my gosh, we need them for the industries, the cheap labor. Oh, it's going to be more expensive. And I say, is it really worth the cultural problems, the cartels, the drugs, the criminal aliens, the rapists, all the social problems they're bringing in. Is it really worth it? Is it worth an extra 10 cents for tomatoes to have a Mayan village in Florida and all of its cultural problems that it's bringing in? It's got to be balanced against the other two stools of a focused governance. It's got to be balanced. That's one thing. That's one thing. And then connected to that more broadly is what we're saying here. This, this notion that government has to clamp down on things at the right time in the right way. Otherwise, they'll clamp down on everything. And everyone's like, Daniel, you know, we, we international, the, the, the tourism industry, the businesses will get hurt. If, if you limit travel, I get it. I, I understand that. But again, this is what happens. In that vein, I want to close with something that is going to make you guys mad as hell, and it should be. It should, do, it sh it should make you mad. <sighs> Ann Corcoran, our friend at Refugee Resettlement Blog, has a great report out that refugee resettlement has not stopped. Could you, could you believe this? We are at the point where we're closing down funerals. We're restricting movement of, of Americans in their own city. <laughs> Yet we are bringing in refugees, electively bringing in and resettling people that have major problems, major logistical problems, the movement of these people. She pointed out to me, I did an interview with her, I'll have some of the quotes in the article, how the they usually the refugee resettlement contractors get volunteers to meet them at the airport. We're talking about social distancing. We're gratuitously bringing in people with international travel. 
I can't vouch for today. But as late as Thursday, we were bringing in people well into this crisis at the same pace of refugee resettlement as we had under Trump's generally reduced intake. From February 15th through March 15th, well into this crisis, we brought in 1,768 refugees. 728 from the Democrat Republic of Congo. It wasn't until this day, just in the news, that they feel they eradicated Ebola. They finally turned the page on that. The last month, they were still dealing with it, and we wouldn't shut off from there. Ukraine, 278. Burma, 136. Iraq, 130. Pakistan, 50. Again, forget about all the Islamic problems. The number one state where, they, where, where we resettled them? California. Do you know the number two state? Washington, the epicenter of this problem. Now, look, I'm going to assume, obviously, they screen them. Obviously, by the time they're brought in, past the incubation period, maybe. Let's just assume that. I don't even know if we can. But there's a broader problem. Even if they're not carrying the diseases, you're spreading around more international travel for nothing. Wouldn't this be the first thing that shut down? A, because we don't need it. B, it's international. It's the source of the problem. C, it's... It's just, you know, we're, we're cutting into the fat, to the muscle of American functionality, shutting down basic things. This is, I mean, we don't need, even if you think refugee resettlement is not a problem, we certainly don't need it. We could suspend it for a few months. It has not been suspended. She looked up 488 just the last seven days, and I looked up just Thursday. It was 111, I believe. So you might think, okay, maybe they finally shut it down. Not as of last week. We are bringing in refugees. Just like we're still bringing in people at the border for bogus asylum requests. You cannot make this stuff up. Orwell could not have written a script like that. So that's why, until we have in place a complete shutoff and a mechanism in the future to shut off travel internationally and visas at the first sight of this problem. I don't want to hear about curfews. You can go to hell. We need to mobilize and fight this. You need to call your members of Congress. You need to call your state representatives and your governor's office and say, look, let's take this seriously. Let's deal with the hospital supplies. We've already shut down everything. Don't take this to the next level. It is not necessary. At this point already, if you think you're not going to bend the curve with this, with what we're already doing, then you know what? And, and people are going to die, then they're going to die anyway. At some point, this is a edict from God. Now, you have to use the tools of nature, of physics, of prudence that God gives you to operate prudently there's got to be a balance. At some point, it's just a lack of faith in God. Maybe we should just all take hemlock and die. Again, 50% is in one nursing home in Seattle. Two-thirds are in the Seattle area. It's very clustered. Certain places, certain counties in New York. You know, we are doing a relatively good job of corralling it. Anyone except for people with respiratory issues. We really haven't had deaths. Uh, um, the average age is 80. Again, I'm not trying to be one of those. I'm not one of those like, oh, it's just like the flu. 
don't worry about this. You know, no, no, you, we need to take action. You need to, you need to limit it. You need to quarantine it. But again, let's focus on China. Let's focus on immigration. Let's focus on the impetus of this. We're still not shutting it down completely. And it took way too long. Let's focus on deregulation. Let's focus on the right fiscal policies. We need a vision. I can't be the only one offering this. We need a movement ASAP. I'm, I'm going to try to get my working group. Uh, I'm going to meet with them tonight to get this Facebook page up, at least so we can could, we could, we could mobilize. So um, there's a lot to point out. If you guys have anything to say, add, subtract on all these points. We're going to have comprehensive coverage this week. Email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Look, a lot of people are home now. They're looking for things to do. Send this show to 50 of your friends, neighbors, and relatives. We need a bold contrast from what the political class is doing. There is something very unsettling about this. Headed towards curfews. And believe me, I took this series from day one. But I have a big problem with the very people that militated against shutting down travel even from China when it could have mattered. Suddenly now you can't travel outside your doorstep. I'm sorry. That's the epitome of what is wrong with our government. Watch for our articles at Conservative Review. My um, my uh, tweets at RM Conservative. Again, Go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, send this around, email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. May God give us counsel and guidance to deal with this as much as possible. And ultimately, only on him and him alone do we turn to eradicate this disease, to ensure that more lives aren't lost, and that we go back to our peace and prosperity in this country. Amen. Till tomorrow. God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.